Today's episode is brought to you by the Winnebago Industries Foundation and is part of a series highlighting pioneers in outdoor and adventure accessibility. It seemed like these problems were way too big for us to ever solve, but I had to come to the realization that I may not see it change in my lifetime. And so if that's the case, then it's my job to just do the best that I can while I have this time, because I'm just one leg of this multi-person relay race. And if I can run my leg as fast as I can, as hard as I can, maybe we will get there a little bit faster. It's easy to talk about the successes, but what doesn't get talked about enough is the struggle. My name is Eric Weinmare. I've gotten the chance to ascend Mount Everest, to climb the tallest mountain in every continent, to kayak the Grand Canyon, and I happen to be blind. It's been a struggle to live what I call a no barriers life, to define it, to push the parameters of what it means. And part of the equation is diving into the learning process and trying to illuminate the universal elements that exist along the way. And that unexplored terrain between those dark places we find ourselves in and the summit exists a map. That map, that way forward, is what we call no barriers. Parker McMullen Bushman is an outspoken social media diva that focuses on environmental justice and social justice issues. Parker has a particular passion for equity and inclusion in conservation and outdoor recreation. Her activism developed from her personal experiences facing the unequal representation of people of color in environmental organizations. As a woman, as a black person, as a curvy hiker, as a mother, as a black business owner, she stands at the intersection of multiple identities. Her education efforts and initiatives shine a light on racism, ageism, sexism, heterosexism, and ableism, but also gives people tools for change. Keep listening to hear Parker talk about queen work and her new exciting project, Inclusive Journeys, and how to get involved. Welcome everyone to the No Barriers podcast. I have my uh, new co-host Jill Royster on. Hey, Jill. Hi, Eric. And Parker, we're so excited to have you on the podcast. This is really exciting. You're a local Denverite too. So I'm from Golden. So we're we're next door neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. And it's exciting to have you on. And so I'm going to start out with a blind question. So I can't see you, but I have heard through the grapevine that you wear really beautiful clothing, like colorful clothing and like a really cool a head wrap that's really beautiful. So so fill in the picture for, for us blind folks, which okay. is like probably 0.001% of our community, by the way. Happily. <laughs> Happily. So I am a, a black woman. I am a woman of size. I got I got some curves on me. I like to wear big, colorful glasses, and I've got lots of different variations of glasses. I wear colorful head wraps that are serve a dual purpose of kind of showing a little bit of uh, my personality, but also protecting my natural hairstyle, which is dreadlocks um, or locks. I wear. Uh, earrings and lipstick and you know yeah, the, yeah bright lipstick too yeah bright lipstick mm-hmm. and so you know I and I'm in outdoor spaces as all of those things which uh, is sometimes an interesting juxtaposition Parker I have to say one of my favorite I, I checked out of course all of your your Instagram stories um, and I am now officially following, but your red lip on the red rocks made me laugh out loud. (laughs) Bright red lips on the red rocks. Yes. Well, you, sometimes you, you got to match nature's energy, right? You go out there and nature is this big, beautiful thing. And I like matching nature's energy when I get out on the trail. Yeah. And you're a K A queen work. I love that. So I just like being blind, thought it was Q U E E N. And then I looked and I went, Oh, it's an acronym. Yep. <laughs> Hold on. Then I'm going to remember it. 
keep widening environmental engagement narratives, right? Yeah. Yes. Cool. So that's that's really cool acronym. And you know, you you're a real pioneer in social justice and environmental justice. So my first question is like, where do those overlap, or if they do overlap, where do they intersect? Because it seems like social justice and environmental justice would have a bunch of overlap. And that's why you you mentioned both of them in one sentence. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting. So my background, I am a natural resources professional. I've had a 24-year career in environmental education, outdoor recreation fields, and I've had the opportunity to work all over the United States. The basic tenet of environmental justice is that no one should have to bear an uneven brunt of negative environmental impacts like that shouldn't go to one group or another. But there's been a lot of research that has shown that people who are most highly impacted by pollutants and bad environmental things that are happening are often communities of color. Mm. And that's where the environmental justice movement came from. So it's kind of its own like offspurt of environmentalism as a whole. When we talk about having people make changes in their daily lives that are better fit or helpful for the environment, that's kind of a a top level desire, like saving the planet, leaving the planet better for generations that come after us. When we, if we look at a setup like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which is a triangle setup that says, you know, at the top is self-actualization. That's wanting to leave the world for better for generations after. And there's all of these things that come before it. At the very bottom is physiological needs, air, water, uh, survival needs. Then you have your safety needs. Then you have your emotional well-being needs. Then you have your esteem needs. And only at the very top is that saving the planet. Right. If we put that on top of social justice issues, right, people are never going to have the bandwidth, the ability to think about how do we save the planet if they are starving? If they- <laughs> yeah, if you're like, how do I save myself? Exactly. It's hard to think about the planet. Exactly. It's almost like social justice might blind you to this bigger idea of the self-actualization. Yeah, you can't you can't get there, right? We've had people holding up signs and protests this past year that said, say I can't breathe, right? And which is, you know, that play off of what folks have, have said when they, they've died in these situations. But it also to me has a double meaning because one, being able to breathe is like the chief survival thing. And if you if you're saying you can't breathe, you're saying that you don't have what you need essentially, like uh, essential to your life to survive, right? I can't breathe. And doubly tied in with environmental justice and social justice is we said environmental justice was those unequal impacts. When we look at pollution that's being caused and that it happens a lot in black and brown communities. We also see that black and brown communities end up with negative health impacts like asthma, heart disease, lung cancer, right? And so if black and brown communities are at a higher instance for getting those diseases, right? That ties in with the, like, is a direct link to me, the fact that Eric Garner, where that first statement came from, who died and and, in an altercation with police, they listed one of his contributing factors to his death as his asthma, right? right? Which in, uh, there's been studies where he was living in New York, has some of the highest rates of asthma in the United States because of environmental factors. So there's like this double whammy of how does the environment affect Black and brown communities, right, at higher negative rates? And then how are they also 
affected by systemic issues and social justice issues and systems of oppression. There's so many pieces to it. You know what I mean? I feel like right now, (laughs) as you speak, it's making my mind kind of go crazy because it's like there's so many implications and so many sources and you know what I mean? So many reasons back and forth, how everything affects everything else. So Eric, I'm going to say, I think you wrapped it up nicely, Parker, and one of your, again, going back to your Instagram, you said, do you love the planet? Do you hate racism? And do you want to stamp out oppression? Mm. Yeah. Dismantle oppression in outdoor spaces. So I love that. And you state that your work is a direct byproduct of your own personal experiences. It is. Facing inequality. So I'd love to hear you talk more about that too, because obviously there is the evidence-based work that you do professionally, but obviously there is a very personal connection to this as well. Yeah. You know, my identity, uh, when I come into these spaces, I can't leave it at the door. And we often want to to leave it, right? We often want to say that those things don't matter when we come into certain spaces, but the fact is they, they do, right? And Eric, you're probably just about the only person that I would accept the I don't see color from. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> a lot of people it is very convenient. <laughs> but we like we have to be understanding of the identity that people bring into spaces. When I first came into outdoor recreation and natural resources, um, I changed a lot about myself because I wanted to fit in. So if you had seen Parker, you know, uh, early on in college, it would have been very similar to what you see now. If you seen Parker as she entered into her environmental education career, it was very different. Hmm. So I got out of college and I started getting into these outdoor recreation spaces. And I was like, oh, okay, Uh, lose the head wrap. You better get a fleece. You better get like the right uh, hiking boots and you better speak the right way and use the right terminology. Right. And so now I'm having the opportunity to be more authentically myself and to provide representation for people because it is, and it's, and it's interesting, once I started saying, okay, I, I want my identity, I think my identity should be acceptable in outdoor spaces and I should be able to show up as truly who I, who I am, right? And I walk in the spaces and people are like, oh, whoa. <laughs> Right. That that's different. And we call out difference often. We call it out and it ends up being a microaggression. Right. We we are calling out something just because it doesn't fit the norm. But that call out makes people who are trying to be involved, trying to be active, feel like they're not a part. Oh, I'm different. And they're they're calling it out. So I've had everything across the years. One is being, I described myself earlier as being a curvy, right? Yeah. Um, a woman of color. I used to lead kayaking trips. Yeah. Same, you know, I, I'm, I'm strong. I might be curvy, but I am strong. And I used to lead these kayaking trips. I get to the side of the road where we would launch on this creek, set up 12 kayaks, wait for my participants to arrive. People would drive up, get out, come up, say hello, and then be like, so who's leading our trip today? (laughs) (laughs) It's only me and all these kayaks, right? I worked at residential sites where people where I was the director of education for all of the experiences on the site. And people constantly thought that I was uh, either housekeeping or working in the kitchen, right? And not because they're like bad or evil people. Like all of these things are not people who are trying to be intentionally mean, but again, it's calling out difference. I see a person of color and I don't expect that they are active in this outdoor stuff. I expect that they might be doing something else or there's another reason for them to be here other than as as a leader or as a person who is um, 
bringing, you know, bringing us on our trip, whatever it is. So, yeah. So when, so then with all those pressures and stereotypes, how the heck did you get an interest in this? Like, why didn't you go through, you know, like that more typical story where maybe you didn't even really recognize it? Yeah. And then also second question around that as you, as you're answering is like, you must've been sort of pressured into, you know, putting on a, a fleece jacket and some uh, Timberline boots. Well, you also talk, Parker, and I'm going to add a third question on this. Oh, yeah. Is that yeah. you said you didn't feel comfortable yeah. at home outdoors. And you've made that transition to feeling comfortable and embracing and celebrating the outdoors. So I'd love for you to talk about yeah. that transition. So, so that's like a full 360 <laughs> like question there for you. Well, you know, it is all, um, it's interesting. Okay. When I grew up in the Bronx, my mother actually took us outside. She was from the South. And so getting outdoors, even in the city, was important to her. And I gained a sense of place about my city blocks. I would walk with my dad collecting cans and uh, because you could give them back for money back in back in the day, uh, five cents a can. So we collected cans to get money and I would see the trash on the ground And I asked my parents, like, what are we going to do about all this trash? People are throwing trash on the ground. My mom said, I think, you know, she was probably trying to blow me off, but she didn't know. Well, she knew me, but didn't know that I'd take it up. She said, why don't you write a letter to the New York Times? And I did. I typed a letter to the New York Times on my dad's typewriter that was like imploring the people in my neighborhood, dear people, we need to save the planet. So that's a connection, right? Really early on at nine years old. But no one told me you're an environmentalist. Uh, You are an outdoor enthusiast because you go outside and climb trees. No one gave me that language. And when I did think about those words, I didn't have representation for myself. So I just thought that those things were honestly things that white people did, right? I didn't think that it was something that applied to me. Um, So much so that one time my mom took us fishing and she, we're in New York, she figured out where to go, what boat we could rent, how she could rent the gear. And she invited a friend of hers along who was a white woman. And we spent the whole day, like it was amazing. I loved it. I put the Mm -hmm. the worm on the hook. It was really cool. Uh, We spent the whole day together. At the end of the day, I turned to my mom's friend and I said, I wish I was white so I could do things like this all the time. Right. So I had had in my brain that those type of things were things that white people did. And so as I got older, it didn't really seem like uh, I it did never even entered my mind as a career path. And instead, you know, I, I went to school first for pre-med, which got squashed real quick after my first math class and <laughs> switched over to anthropology and got my degree and then took up an environmental education job as a placeholder. And it was, you know, two or three years into doing that and trying to figure out what my next step in my real life in the real world was going to be when someone had a conversation with me that was like, you know, this could be like, this could be your job. (laughs) Like you could do this. And I was like, but like when I'm older, like when I, like I thought environmental educator education was just working at a camp like my, you know, my whole life. I didn't realize that there was a career. So makes so much sense that there would be that disconnect though, because yeah. you couldn't see yourself as an environmentalist, as somebody who cared about this stuff, even though you did already. Yeah. So when you moved out to Colorado, yeah. And you, you know, you're interested in getting out there, there's like it seems like a lot of barriers to entry. I don't know. I'm I'll put myself a little bit in there being blind. I mean, maybe there's some crossover. You know, it's like a little intimidating to get out there. So what was your first experiences when you got out there on the trails? What'd you see? What'd you observe? Yeah, well, it's terrifying. And, you know, getting into the outdoors, I started before I got to Colorado, right? But there was a definitely a barrier there. Like in 
my community and just from my personal experience, this isn't every black person's experience, but you know, I didn't, my parents didn't teach me how to swim because they didn't, they never learned how to swim during the time when they would have been able to learn how to swim. There was only one pool in town that was whites only. Right. And they were not able to go and get that background. So I never learned how to swim. My grandmother used to tell me things like, you don't go into the woods, don't go into the woods alone. Don't go into the woods because she was remembering that legacy of, like lynchings and awful things that happen to people in the woods. There is this historic. Yeah, excuse my language, but yeah, scary shit happens in the woods. Exactly. (laughs) So there's this historical legacy of things that have happened in, in the past that still affect us today, right? There's this legacy of racism that uh, affect people's connection to the outdoors. And for a long time, I was, scared. I was worried. And I was in positions where, you know, as I was in my natural resources career, where you needed to be outside. And I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do it. I'm going into the marsh. I'm going into the woods. I'm going, I'm going, like, I would be out on a kayak. And like, while I was strong, and while I thought I did a really good job leading those kayaking trips, I'd be like, what is under this water? <laughs> what is going to get me? I need my life jacket. What if I fall over? Like all of these these things. So there's that part of it. And getting here to Colorado was like another level. Cause not like by the time I got to Colorado, I was uh, much more comfortable with being in outdoor spaces and going into the woods, even by myself. But Colorado, y'all are fit. <laughs> y'all, like there are these 14ers, the, the altitude kicked my butt and that there wasn't a whole lot of people like just the fear of if you are not aware of like all of the safe and welcoming places are to get out. And, and- we're sandbaggers too, by the way, to interrupt. We're total sandbaggers, meaning like, you know, like in my neighborhood, there's like 10 people who climbed Everest and like, yeah. and, and you're like, come on and hike a 14er. And you're like, yep. well, maybe that's not the first step. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And if you are, if you don't know the places to get out and you don't have anyone who you feel like are as similar to you, like my first hikes out, like I wanted someone who I was like, okay, you, you're at my fitness level. Like we're going <laughs> to. We're going to go together, right? Because I know that you're not going to outpace me. Like those things can be terrifying at at first, but I I got used to it. I got out and I started just looking up spaces to go and visit and like really researching the trails. Like I got to have a really clear view of what the trail's going to be. And then going out and trying it on my own, at my own pace, right? And once I know that I can do it, oh, okay, this is the pace. This is what it looks like. Then I start to go out with people, right? If you're going to invite me on a trail, I might have to go and test it out and look at it first to say, is that going to be, you know, my my deal? But And this is part of the work. I mean, I just want to bring in, you know, your new initiative, right? You've got queen work, which everyone should be following you. And I want to talk to you about that balance of advocacy and fun. We'll talk about that, but inclusive journeys. Yes. So you're talking about like being prepared, um, but also where to go. I would assume, you know, going back to Eric's questions about barriers, barriers to entry. So it's like, okay, you decide you want to do this, but like, where do you go? So talk a little about, cause I, I looked on the website. I think you're like 23 days from officially launching. <laughs> We're so excited. Two hours and like maybe like <laughs> 17 three, seconds. Three seconds right now or something like that. My co founder put that countdown on the website and it gives me like stomach bubbles every time I okay. go to that website and see the countdown. Um, yeah, so inclusive journeys, we're really excited. 
Myself, you know, I have a background in, like I said, in natural resources. My co-founder is another Black woman who has a background in uh, outdoors and worked for Colorado Parks and Wildlife for a while and is a hunter. She's a she's a Black woman that's a hunter. Wow. And she got trained. Some, uh, she got a hunting mentor who started teaching her how to hunt. And she did a whole series for Colorado Parks and wildlife called My First Big Game Hunt. And you can check it out on YouTube. And she was talking with her mentor one day. This is the inception of Inclusive Journeys. She was talking with her mentor one day and, you know, he was saying, oh, there's all of these places you can go hunting in Colorado and uh, a range of, of public and private lands and this and that. And she said, you know, I am not sure that I would feel comfortable going to some of these places, especially as a Black woman carrying a gun. I don't want there to be any misunderstanding about my intention. And he said, well, you know, where's the data behind that? Because we hear about incidences, we hear about people not feeling safe, uh, but where's the data behind it? And no malicious, like he wasn't being malicious, like an open, honest question. And she started to think about that. And she started to think about uh, this historical publication called The Green Book or The Negro Motorist. Right. Mm -hmm. I saw the movie. Yeah. And so The Green Book was uh, started in like the 1930s, 1940s, maybe. And it was started during the time when Black people were Uh, So it's after slavery, Black people are now able to gain money for their employment. And they were starting to do things like have income and buy cars. And they needed, they wanted to travel if they needed to get to safe outdoor spaces. The Green Book listed what were the safe towns, what were the sundown towns, Mm -hmm. right? The towns that you would face uh, really... uh, could have bad experiences or bad opposition when you came through. And so she had this idea that, wow, it would be amazing if we had something current like that, that just said, what are the safe and welcoming spaces? Because we would like to think that all spaces are safe and welcoming, but it's just not the case. And we see evidence time and time again of things that happen. And so with inclusive journeys, and it's actually going to, it's the inclusive guide. So we're producing the inclusive guide and it is going to be a resource where people can go and rate outdoor spaces, businesses, anything for whether or not they felt safe, welcomed and celebrated in those spaces. They can also list accommodations for the spaces. So if I'm a wheelchair user, like the uh, trails were wide enough for me to, to get down, right? If someone is trans, they can list the, they have single stalled, uh, not gender neutral bathrooms that, you know, I felt comfortable using. So we can list how people feel in a space and we can also list the amenities of a space, much like, you know, a Yelp or TripAdvisor. You go on Yelp, people can say the soup was cold and the service was too slow. And they can also say, you know, they, they've they got a pool at the hotel, right? So we'll be able, we're going to try and do for inclusivity what Yelp has done for customer service. So have you been traveling and assessing and evaluating? Well, what we have been doing, we're excited because we have a partnership that I I probably shouldn't name right now, but it is a large travel website uh, where people can kind of list out their, their trips. And we're getting all of their data points into our database the first day. Fantastic. What's going to happen is people are going to rate. So we're not going to rate it. Like we don't want to say this is Parker and Crystal's list of safe and welcoming spaces. We are getting users onto the database. So if any of your listeners Hmm. are here in Colorado, go to Inclusive Guide. Sign up now. Yeah, Yeah, sign up now. And people will register and rate. And we need everyone. So I also want to say, say that. 
sorry, I said go to Inclusive Guide. You go to Inclusive Journeys to sign up for the Inclusive Guide. But we need everyone, even people who don't have marginalized identities, right? Sometimes white folks ask me, like, is this app going to be for me? And it definitely is. Is some of it just like subtle observations and things like that as well? It's not like, you know, a trail is X number of feet wide and accessible, but it's like, hey, you know, I was on this trail and I was running at sunset and people were like giving me scary looks. You know what I mean? Like, is some of it kind of subtle in terms of how you might perceive a location? I, people might put in things like that, but I think you'll be surprised at some of the more concrete examples because it's hard to say, how are we going to regulate outdoor spaces, right? But I think that if we can regulate in a park, like we have signs all over the place that are like, you need to pick up your litter and you need to do this and do that. Like we have rules, right? What are our rules around inclusion and the way people can interact with one another once they're within our park borders, right? And either uh, you go with these rules of inclusion, um, which means not harassing other park guests, right? Or mm -hmm. you are not welcome to use our space, right? We haven't gotten to the point where we're quite willing to say that, but maybe with some data, you know, people would be willing to. I think I we often get into conversations too about what this app can do to show discrimination, but I really also want to celebrate the organizations and the spaces that are already welcoming, right? That's really what this app is about, to show people that if we, if you are a welcoming space and people can identify that, they'll spend their money with you. And suddenly inclusion becomes something that other businesses want to strive towards because they want that same customer base. So to that point, I have a question for both you and Eric, who do you think, whether it's locally or, you know, someplace far flung, who is doing it well right now? I would say that from a park perspective, you know, you're both hikers or, and kayakers. I think Eric's 20th, it's the 20th anniversary of his Everest climb this week. Mm -hmm. yeah. So um, maybe, maybe that's a question for both of you. Who's doing it well? Let's celebrate that. Well, I'd love to hear from Parker on that because like I was just thinking about that this morning very seriously, you know, like who is doing like Patagonia? Like I know they have, you know, they've really worked uh, recently on bringing in different kinds of athletes, you know, to not this, the stereotypical folks. So I know there's a lot of energy out there, but you're, uh, you know, I think I'd leave it to Parker to learn who you think is really doing it well. Yeah. Brands. And then also like locations. Yeah, wow, that's a that's a tall loaded question. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think that I I think there's a variety of organizations that are really trying and are really bringing things to the forefront. What I hesitate to say is, you know, someone that I feel like is doing it doing it great all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's a, it's a learning process. And I feel like my experiences in a space might be different than other people's experiences. Like I know, like uh, Crystal and I talk about how she'll go to one gun range over another gun range because she knows that if she goes to one, uh, that they're going to treat her really well, right? And if she goes to the other, she's not going to be treated really well. Some organizations, though, to check out is, I don't know if you have seen Teresa Baker, who created the African-American National Parks Experience. Uh, she created a website called In Solidarity, and it's the In Solidarity Project. And she actually has a list of outdoor brands that have taken the outdoor CEO diversity pledge. Mm. And within like there's participating companies, but each one of those companies have taken this pledge and then are working 
to, uh, they have to provide what is the work that they're doing each year. So they have to update each year and they get their profile updated on the In Solidarity Project website to say, what is the work that we're doing? And she's got everyone there from Granite Gear, which Granite Gear, I will, I will say Granite Gear, they're an amazing outdoor company that is really working to be racially inclusive, size inclusive. They have like these weekly interviews with the CEO who, and they, they talk to different people, just like you are talking to me, different people who are uh, kind of breaking that mold in outdoor recreation and lift up a lot of different voices. But that's a great website to go to. And the other thing that I love about that website is that it has a community directory that lists uh, people of color that are working in the environmental and outdoor recreation fields with their bios and ways to contact them. And I'm sorry, it's not only people of color. It's all it's actually like all all diversity within within the field. So there are people like also Patty Gonia on there who I love. Um, I, <laughs> that's someone that y'all need to get. I don't know if y'all have thought about interviewing Patty Gonia, but they are amazing. They are a a, a hiking drag queen. Uh-huh. They do really amazing work. Intersectional. Oh my gosh. Right. Jill, we got to yeah, have right Patty now, right on this. And I'm, I'm going to kick Dave out of the, the co-host yeah. while I'm joining Yeah, you did exclusive uh, <laughs> I'm, interview. I'm right putting my Patty flag Gunia. in that right now. Yeah, right. <laughs> for sure. Well, I want to go back to your personal experience because, uh, and then we'll go back to some of this more d- deeper stuff. But uh, one, did you, did you learn to swim? And two, tell me about your first time camping because- camping's like a big deal i remember even when my daughter emma was like six eight months old we decided to go camping and it poured rain like rained flood it flooded our tent my daughter was running around like in like inch deep water and we said forget this and we went and got a hotel room (laughs) so i mean like so so that must have been a huge learning curve Yep. So I've learned to swim, but not very well. My husband is an amazing swimmer and uh, is teaching. I'm like, you have to teach our kids to swim. Uh, but I I still have a little bit of a fear of, of the water. So that's coming slow. As for camping, my first camping experience was actually my junior year of high school and then I did not camp again for, for years because it was a terrifying traumatizing. <laughs> yeah, it can be so traumatizing that first night out in the woods. You know? I was like, oh my goodness, you know, I was trying to play it off like at a lot of people in the group, you know, you go on these school things and a lot of people in the group were already had those experiences and I had not. And we had to hike our stuff like seven miles up to this campsite. And it just was real. It was so dark. And now, like, when it's that dark, I can <laughs> admire the stars and, like, feel better. But during, like, I spent the whole time just terrified, terrified out of my mind and just really scared that I was going to be eaten by a bear or, like, all of these fears that you get you get told so uh now i yeah, love it. i'm interrupting but i remember there's this uh guy who we were in uh moab like on the colorado river and he pulls up to us and we we're car camping and he goes i'm from new york city and i'm traveling across the country camping out and i'm freaked out right now it's so big <laughs> the sky is so freaking big he's like can i just camp like next to you guys just because i need some human yeah uh, uh, companionship. We're like, of course. Yeah. As long as you're not an ax murderer, we're <laughs> totally happy for you to be next to us. <laughs> I'm glad you asked him because I'm sure he would have been a hundred percent honest. No, I'm not an ax murderer. <laughs> well, Parker, I feel like though, what you do is like, you know, you, you like to go out and own the trails now and you show yeah. them, you show them who is boss. Yes. Um, and you're doing it in style a couple things that I just would love for you to talk about is like how you get through hikes. I mean, I'm just, I'm not going to steal your thunder here, but like your trail breaks and your trail dancing and your hike musings and all the little tips and tricks that you have to like 
help it get through. So maybe talk about that a little bit because it's really, you make it fun. I love, uh, you know, I feel like you need to enjoy your time, right? And for me, enjoying my time is one, setting a reasonable pace for me. Um, It's not all about getting to the top. Getting to the top is an added bonus. I like to take breaks along the trail, view the nature, but also like I work it out on the trail. I do a little bit of dancing. (laughs) I'll listen to something some music. If people are with me, I'm like, let's do a little like dance break. Everybody get with a plant and take a look at what's going on and just like really breathe it all in. And when I'm hiking alone, I still do those dance breaks. And sometimes I take time to to record what I'm thinking and then those end up getting on my social media, you know, what am I thinking in this very moment right now? Some of them are silly. Like I've got one video where I like went to go hike at, I think it was Roxboro State Park. And they've got a lot of signs that are like, watch for mountain lions and watch for bears. And I just spent the whole time thinking like, why does every rock have to look like a bear? (laughs) Why does everything have to look like a mountain lion? And I've had this thought enough that now I want to share it with with mm. people. But I think when I put it on social media and people see it, they say, oh, I've had that thought too. And oh, that is my actual fear. But look, she's doing it and she's okay. And so maybe I'll try it because I'll be okay too. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I still feel like when you go out into the outdoors, in the mountains, marginalized folks, you just don't see that many different kinds of people enjoying the spaces. So besides Digital Green Book and the things that you're doing, what are some of the other recommendations or solutions that you have? What are the barriers to entry and what are the ways through them? Yeah. So we have to think about when us who are comfortable in those outdoor spaces and out on the trail, how do we make our spaces comfortable for others? Like we know what is our comfort level, but not everyone has that same comfort level. We also end up getting like a little stigma around different groups of people and then people end up leaving, right? If we are talking about bigger people on the trail, people of size, if we are you know, making comments when we see someone that looks different, like I get asked all the time, is it my first hike? I get told, whoa, you're colorful. I get asked, am I prepared for my hike? Like, and I wonder, and I've asked my friends, like how often do you get asked, is this your first hike when you go hiking? Because it happens to me at least like oh, once a month. I get, I mean, I try to be polite about it and patient, but people are like, good job, buddy. Right? You're so <laughs> great. Look at you out, 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 out on the trail. And I'm like, yeah. And so there's these assumptions that people make, and then they make comments. And we have to understand not only how other people might get there and show up, but how we provide a space for them to feel included. Like, I'm not going to other you. And sometimes, you know, when we want to be encouraging, we should think about what would I say to someone who was who was like me, like would I be saying this to someone who I feel like is similar to me in the outdoors? And and if not, what is my motivation for saying that? So microaggressions and working on microaggressions so that people feel welcome, I think is one spot. Working on outright aggressions, like I have a friend who takes kids of color into the mountains and gets told often when they go up there, oh, I come here to get away from kids and people like that. Mm. Right. Right. So like, how do we deal with outright aggression? How do we provide equity? Like we have to think about equitable outcomes, which means equity isn't exactly equality. Right. Yes, it means treating everyone fair. But thinking about what are the things that people need to be able to fully participate and how can we provide that for them, right? Whether that is gear, outdoor gear is not cheap, right? And places, gear lockers and places where people can go and and rent or borrow gear help 
transportation to those spaces is not easy, especially if you live in the city and you don't own a car, right? So how do we provide transportation to some of those spaces? Uh, how are we having the conversation and open to the conversation? Because sometimes people have the reaction of, well, what are you trying to say? Like the trees are biased. Are you trying to say the river's racist, right? And that's not the conversation we're trying to have, but we need to like open our mind and think and understand that people might have different experiences when they're in these spaces. And so let's be open to that conversation so we can learn and serve people better in the way that they need to be fully involved. Is there a socioeconomic just barrier to just straight up, just like if you don't have the disposable income to hit a national park for a week or you're, you know, you're, you're working all the time. Yeah. yeah, Right. So that that seems to me kind of obvious. Is that true? I, I think that it's definitely part of it. And so that's why I also advocate for us investing in our nearby nature, right? Because not everyone can get far out. And not only do we need to invest in it, we need to value it at the same level because we know that nature is healing. We know that nature provides so many benefits. And so if you are in the city, you deserve access to that nearby nature. And it shouldn't be along socioeconomic lines, but it is now. Like here in in Denver, right, we have some areas of the city that are more affluent, that have better parks, more tree cover, and areas of the city that are lower socioeconomics that have like concrete parks and no tree cover. You look at the difference between Globeville, Alaria, Swansea, and Cherry Creek. In those two neighborhoods, Globeville, Alaria, Swansea, some areas only have 2% tree cover. In Cherry Creek, some areas have 60% tree cover, right? And that difference means that it not only along socioeconomic lines, but means that one area is better able to fight the effects of climate change, right? With a cr- increased heat, increased flooding, right? And so if that's a thing that the city provides, why is there such a distinction between what one area has and what the other area doesn't, right? Mm-hmm. We need to provide for that at at all levels because it has an effect on people's connection to nature and their access to the outdoors. No, I think that's super important to remember. It's not just about going and hiking an hour away. Yep. You know, I you said you were from the Bronx. I was in, in New York City for 22 years and yeah. I grew up on a lake. And water has always been sort of my sense of salvation. So for me to get out of the concrete jungle, just to be able to go look at the Hudson River and go walk on the Hudson River, where it was on the east side or the west side, you know, what they've done on the west side highway is remarkable in New York right now, all the way up from downtown, all the way up through the Bronx. Um, So yeah, just that idea that you can, it's not just about going and trekking up the the 14,000 foot elevation that Eric was talking about, but just going to your local park exactly, and how beneficial that can be. One thing I just wanted to mention too, Parker, that really resonated with me is that you talk about this, this fight for social justice and equality and equity is not a sprint. It's a relay race. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, you know, you say you didn't start it, the people came before you and you may not see the results in this lifetime but just to run the fastest and hardest race possible. So the next time someone gets there quicker, can you just reflect a little bit on that statement? Yeah. You know, for a long time when I was doing this work, I was feeling sad. I was feeling down. Like it seemed like these problems were way too big for us to ever solve and that my ancestors before me had been fighting the same fight and you know now I'm fighting it and why am I doing it you know am I wasting time and I came across this analogy and it really resonated with me that it's not my job to solve racism Right. It's not my job to uh, solve all of these systemic 
issues that have plagued us for years. I want it solved and I'm working toward it being solved, but I had to come to the realization that I may not see it change in my lifetime. And so if that's the case, if I've come to that realization, even though I don't want it to be the case, if that is the case, then it's my job to just do the best that I can while I have this time, because I'm just one leg of this multi-person relay race. And if I can run my leg as fast as I can, as hard as I can, maybe we will get there a little bit faster. Well, dance a little bit along the way. Yeah, and dance a little bit along the way. Yeah. yeah. Right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Hey, so Parker, you also have this... Uh, Eco-inclusive, inclusive, which is, seems like another facet of this equation, another facet of how to change things, right? Like, so, you know, you look at all these great conservation organizations and outdoor, you know, organizations like No Barriers even, and it, it seems like if you can get this idea of equity and inclusion on their radar in terms of like how they, you know, eat, sleep and breathe it, uh, that's going to be a big game changer, Right. Yeah, and people understanding that, understanding that, and um, making that connection, I think, is very important. And so, the training and the discussion and conversations about it, so that people understand it's not a, a side thing, right? All of the systems that we deal with are part of the everyday way that we operate. And it's important for us to realize that and to start to make structural changes within our organization. So we have to have the conversation and we have to give people the training needed to understand it and make changes and move forward. Well, we want to invite you to come be part of No Barriers. Eric, we got to get her on the docket. I know. Of course we do. I know. I'm thinking that the whole time. For sure. (laughs) Well, Parker, thank you so much for all your time today. And uh, the work you're doing is amazing. I've learned so much. And uh, it really, like, opens up your mind to thinking about, you know, how complicated this is, but also how solvable these things are as well and how it could really enhance so many people's lives to have them more connected with conservation and, and the outdoors and the, and all the beauty that and reward that comes from it. So yeah, I even think as at No Barriers, we have a lot of work ahead of us thinking about this. Well, thank you so much. I'm, I'm really excited to have gotten the chance to chat with y'all today. And um, it's been wonderful. Thank you. Cool. Yeah, Parker, you're amazing. And everybody follow Queen Work. Check out inclusivejourneys.com in 23 days and uh, also eat inclusive. She's got her plate full, but man, oh man, doing great stuff. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, I can't wait to get on that app. It's going to be cool. And thank you to you, Jill. Awesome job. It was so fun. I hope you invite me back, Eric. I, I will. Okay. <laughs> That's not my choice, but I, I would if it were my choice. I really enjoyed it. Parker, it was so nice to meet you. All right. Thank you. All Thanks, right. Parker. No barriers to everyone. We would like to thank our generous sponsors that make our No Barriers podcast possible. Wells Fargo, Prudential, CoBank, Aero Electronics, and Winnebago. Thank you so much for your support. It means everything to us. The production team behind this podcast includes senior producer Pauline Schaefer, sound design, editing, and mixing by Tyler Cotman, and marketing support by Heather Zocali, Stevie DiNardo, Erica Hui, and Alex Schaefer. Special thanks to the Dan Ryan Band for our intro song, Guidance. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to it, share it, and give us a review. Show notes can be found at nobarrierspodcast.com. Fighting and see